0: You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Welcome uh, this morning, uh, Merry Christmas. I feel I can say that now since it's snowing outside a little bit and cold. Uh, we're glad you joined us to, uh, for this morning. Uh, turn from your Bibles to Mark uh, chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please stick your hand up. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word in your hands. And if you uh, don't have one at home, uh, Merry Christmas. This is our gift to you. Uh, please take it home and read it. It's a living, active Word of God. And God will change your life uh, through it as, you, as He points you to Jesus Christ. Uh, we're just going to wrap up today our series uh, called Heart Abandoned, and we've been studying really for since the uh, beginning of September. This whole idea of of God's love and how deep and wide and significant the love of God is, and and hopefully that series sort of impacts your heart a little bit. And then we got into so so if God's love is this fantastic, like how could I possibly respond to to this love? How do I love Him back? How do I live out the first commandment to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And so we've been kind of studying that for the last number of weeks. And so today we're kind of uh, finish it up and this one truth wraps it all up so well it, it puts a, a package around it a little bow on top and this is the truth that kind of summarizes all that we've been learning so far it is simply this look up here look up here they can't miss this it's so important to love Jesus is to totally surrender your life to him Do you get that if we going to know what it means to love Jesus, you have to get this, to love Jesus is to surrender to him. It's, it's not just knowing that God loves you, it's seeing the vastness of God's love for you and saying, oh God, how can I ever repay you? I can't, so please just take my whole life as a sacrifice and offering to you as a token of my love for you. This is what Jesus desires of us, and this is what Jesus calls us to in Mark chapter 8. Let me read this text, and then we're going to pray, and we're just going to dive right in. Here is a heart that is loving Jesus through total surrender. Starting at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. To love Jesus is to live out Mark chapter eight. This is a tough call on our lives, but a real call and a freeing call. Let me pray. Let me pray that God would help us, help me help us fully grasp the meaning of this passage as we seek to love him and live for him. Father, we thank you for the reality of Christmas. We thank you that as we celebrate Christmas, we know it's not a frivolous holiday like the world says it is. We know it has deep meaning and significance. The full meaning of it is this, is that you sent your son into the world on behalf of us only to one day die for our sins. Thank you, God, for the indescribable gift of Jesus Christ this Christmas, an act of your uh, amazing love for us. God, as we even strive to fully understand the meaning of Christmas, God, I pray that you'd help us grasp today the, the not just the depths of your love, but how we can respond to your love through our lives. Father, would you allow this sermon series to really take fruition in all of our hearts, to come together in our hearts this morning. May, may all the sermons that have been preached this fall not be lost on deaf ears, but may you help us understand today that all of this leads, all of these things, the, 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 the pursuing you, the abiding in you, the, the, the faith and the obedience all of it leaves us in this one place of living totally surrendered for you, to you. God, we know that we can't do this on our own. We know we can't understand these truths. God, we know we can't make our hearts uh, attuned to them. So, Father, we ask this morning, we, we simply ask, we beg of you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and, and, and magnify your Son in our lives. Your, pray your Holy Spirit would come and open our minds and our hearts to see and to believe this truth, that you might change us and shape us and fill us with a love for you that would be expressed in total surrender. Please, Lord, do this. We we, we can't do it on our own. We need you to do it. And we want to, God, today. Love you with all that we are. So we give you our next 45 minutes asking, oh God, that you do in our lives what only you can, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, total surrender. This is what Jesus calls us to. This is a heart that loves him. Here's where it starts. Write this down in your notes. Number one, total surrender is this. I totally commit to following Jesus. I totally commit to following Jesus. You understand with me right this morning that that following Jesus is a lifetime decision. It's not a flippant uh, thing that we do. We don't try on Jesus. We don't date Jesus. We don't like walk alongside him and see how he fits into our lives and make a decision. Then to follow Jesus means that I'm totally committed to him. Look what it says in verse 34. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone universal, would come after me or love me. Let him do these things. Here's the call. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Notice here how this starts. And he called the crowd to him. Somewhere, I think, in our theology in North America, we've built in this idea that there's, there's two levels of Christianity. There's, there's for the for the real serious people, there's discipleship, and for everybody else, there's sort of like this casual distance following along. And, and so pastors like this we relegate to, oh, this is for the real spiritual elite, and, and that's not for me, this is for somebody else. But look what he says here. He's calling, who's he calling to himself? He's calling the disciples and everybody else in the crowd to himself at this point. This is a message for who? It's for anyone who wants to follow Jesus and love him with all their heart. I can just picture this. He's like up the front. Hey, 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 gather around. I want to tell you how to love me. And I'm sure the disciples like crammed right in and like, oh, oh, this is going to be one for us. We're like, we're the disciples. And, and you know, disciples take a couple steps back. This, is, this isn't just for you guys. This is for everybody. This is a message that everybody needs to hear. This is the call of, of, of me for everyone. And what is the call? It's threefold. It's deny yourself. Write these things down, please. Can't miss them. Take up your cross and follow me. Already you're like, well, it's a pretty heavy call, but this is a heart that loves Jesus, a heart that loves Jesus who's willing to, to deny himself or deny themselves. You have to understand this is not talking about self-rejection or self-hatred or losing your personality or even some sort of asceticism where you're so disciplined you have no more joy because you're trying to show God you love him. It's not what this is teaching at all. This is, this is a call to replace self with Christ as the center of my life. This is a call to renounce the idolatry of self-centeredness and self-interests and say, I no longer want to live like that because I love Christ. I'm gonna live my life centered on Jesus Christ and his, and his code of conduct and his rule over my life. In essence, it's saying this, to deny yourself is saying, Jesus, you get the power burner of my life every time and I'm willing and content to sit on the back burner for the rest of my days. Teach it all the time, right? It's how you love somebody. It's not about you. It's about them you really love them. It's no different with Jesus. Call to love Jesus. Deny yourself. He comes first. What he says matters most. His plan is best. Deny myself. It goes on, though. Look what it says. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. It's on the screen here. It's, it's a call to complete sacrifice even to the point of death. I've heard this passage of scripture butchered far too many times because we take the context, we take the scripture we we try to understand it in our context instead of the context of the day it was given. To get the full intended meaning of scripture, you have to understand what the author said in a way that the audience understood it. When the audience heard this, they were like, I wonder what that means. Let's get a Bible dictionary out. What does take up your cross mean? They knew exactly what it meant. Here's a couple pictures that are going through their minds. They hear this, hey, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross. They're like, okay, deny myself, that's hard. Take up my cross. Mm -hmm. Here's what they have running through their heads. They have a picture of a criminal lugging a cross through the middle of the city, going to the place where he's gonna be executed. They have this picture of of a row that's lined up with the guilty hanging on the cross. in the the, day. Jesus' day, they knew exactly what this meant. They meant that there was a call to love him even to the point of death. This is an all-in call to commitment right to the very end. You're like, well, that makes me feel uncomfortable. That's not the kind of lovey-dovey love that I want to have for God. That's not what I've heard before. This is the call of Jesus. You read it for yourself. You go home and study, and it means the same thing every time no matter what Bible dictionary you use. It's a radical love. It's a love like the soldier, who, patriotic soldier who so loves his country that he's willing to enlist even though he knows he might not come home again. But he's willing to fight for that freedom because he loves his country. Jesus calls us to the type of love that, that old school missionaries used to have. You know what they would do? They were so passionate about Jesus Christ. They loved him so much that when they went overseas, you know what they do? they pack all of their stuff in a casket send it over knowing that they were going to come home in the same way that all their stuff went, but they were willing to do that because they saw the glory and the wonder of Jesus. And that's just what it means to love Jesus. It's all in commitment. In fact, it's the exact same kind of love that Jesus showed you, isn't it? Well, that's pretty radical. Well, think of Jesus' love. Is that not radical? Jesus' love came from heaven to earth, willing to be hammered on a cross, innocent, and yet nailed to a cross in the way that guilty criminals were. Why? Because he loved you with that much fervor and that much intensity. When the disciples heard this, they knew exactly what he was calling them to. Do you realize that every disciple except for John died a martyr's death? It's a call to martyrdom. John died of old age arrest, and they were like, heads chopped off, and they were hung on an upside down, upside down on a cross, like, to take up your cross is not the way that we think of it today, well, well, I'm going to take up my cross and hide behind it for protection, I'm taking it up, pastor, I've took up my cross, you want to see it, I I just got to take it out here, ah, isn't it nice, took up my cross, I even heard it said like this, you know, I guess this is the cross I have to bear. You know, I was hoping for a sunny day on my wedding and it was kind of rainy. Guess that's just the cross I got to bear. That's not it. Even a little more intense, like, you know, like, like my boss, he seems worse than other people's bosses. So I guess that's my cross to bear. That's difficult. I'm not minimizing that, but that's not your cross to bear of what Jesus is calling us to. Or some, you know, I have these, these health struggles and it seems like I have a harder goal than everybody else so I guess that's just the cross I have to bear. That's a difficult circumstance in your life that God has called you to endure for sure but that's not the meaning of bearing your cross. It's a willful choice to follow Jesus no matter what the cost You're like, whew, at least we don't have martyrdom today. You're right. Thank the Lord in North America at this point, we don't have martyrdom. But this is a call to self sacrifice, self sacrificial living, and being willing to follow Jesus. In fact, Luke 14 tells us that if, you don't, if you're not willing to bear your cross, you can't be his disciple. It's not really an option for us. We're like, well, maybe choose another. If you're not willing to bear your cross, it means you probably don't love. It doesn't mean you, probably, you don't love Jesus, and so you can't be his disciple. There's no like mincing words or halfway in betweens. It's all or nothing. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Those two go together like belief and repentance. So you just can't have them a separate. And then follow Jesus. This word follow me, these this words follow me is a if you study the, the languages, it's present imperative. And in other words, it never becomes past tense. It's never like, oh, that was yesterday's word for today. Today's a new one. It's always fresh, always new. Every time you read it, it's gonna be a present imperative. Today. Now uh, I didn't used to follow Jesus in the past. Today is another call, another day to follow Jesus. Remember when your kids in school? Remember when your kids in school and recess, you play follow the leader, and some kid got to be in the front, and what everyone else do? Your only job was to keep your eyes on the kid in front and stay behind him and and not get out of line. That was the the whole the whole game. I failed at it every time. I stunk at that game. Maybe you did too, but we we can't stink at that game when it comes to Jesus. He's always the one in front and our role is always the one right behind, in line, playing my role, doing what he does. No matter where he takes us, I'm willing to follow. That's real love. Remember when I got married to my wife and I told her, you know, I don't know what God's gonna do in our lives. He's gonna take us a lot of places. She's like, honey, I don't care where we go. As long as I'm with you, it's good. I love you enough. Where you go, I go. And I've drug her around the world, for sure. That's what it means to love Jesus. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Even when it's gonna make you unpopular, it's gonna. Even when it's gonna make you uncomfortable and when there's sacrifices that might be too big in your own mind to sacrifice, it's I'm gonna follow Jesus. It's a call to total commitment, that's what it is. That's what it means to love Jesus, total commitment. I can see in your faces. Many of you guys are like, man, this is I never heard this before in church. I don't know if this guy's right or not. It's right there before you. That's why I tell you open your Bible so you don't think it's just me. North America's packaged it so different. We've packaged following Jesus as comfort, not commitment. And so somehow in our little North American minds, we believe that to love Jesus means that I'm comfortable, I'll have the warm fuzzies, and it's all gonna be easy. We've bought into a wrong idea of what it means to love Jesus. We've bought into the $3 worth of God view, as Wilbur Reese says, the comfortable view, instead of the committed view. Here's Wilbur Reese's little poem, $3 worth of God. I fear that many in our culture have bought into this and fully miss out on what it means to love Jesus. Look what it says I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love strangers or rub shoulders with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. What? That's not what Mark 8.34 is saying, isn't it? Is it? That's not loving God. If that's your view of loving God, I'm I, lovingly, but firmly telling you today, you've missed the whole concept of loving God. And you probably love God for what he can do for you instead of loving God for what you can do for him. And for who he is. Do you realize in the Bible, in the Bible when the relationship, God talks about our relationship with him or he talks about our relationship with his kids, you know what the word is always used? The word is used, is covenant, a covenant relationship. It's like, it's like marriage. It's, it's, marriage is the picture of our covenant relationship with God. It's, it's, a, it's a I'm in till death to us part. It's committed, it's loving Jesus with all of my commitment. I get it, our day and age, we don't like that word commitment, right? It's like a swear word. You mentioned commitment, and people are like, whoa, who do you think you are? Commitment, what? Marriage, people change their vows now to not until death do you part until I don't love you anymore. Jobs, I'm willing to sign the contract, but as soon as I don't like it, I'm gonna try and find a loophole and get out of it. I don't plan on ever fulfilling it. Church, oh, I'm committed as long as I'm getting out more than I'm putting in. As soon as that's not the case, like, woo see ya. Even friends. Oh, we're committed as long as you're serving a purpose and you're not serving a purpose. Got better ones to find. God is something so so far more significant for our lives and our relationship with him than that. Let me assure you. God is all in and he asks us to be committed to him. Here's what Martin Luther says. Here's what Martin Luther says when it comes to this idea of loving God with all that we are. He says this, a religion that gives little and costs little is worth little. You're like, we're not talking about religion, correct, so let me rephrase that. So we're not talking about religion, you are talking about relationship with Jesus. A, a love or relationship that gives little and costs little is, you say it, it's hard, isn't it? Say it. Yeah, that's the way I feel too. It's just, don't worry, I've had all week to, to digest some of this stuff. It was painful for me too. As I'm evaluating my own heart, my own life, do I really love Jesus with an all-in commitment? Why do I just love him when it's convenient and when my needs are being met? Christ is calling us to a love deeper than that, a love that is willing to follow God wherever he goes and wherever he takes us in our lives. Total surrender is what God is calling us to in our love for him. Here's number two in this. What does it mean to totally surrender to Jesus? Here's number two. It means I entrust my life completely to him. Total surrender is this. I entrust my life completely to him. Verse 35 to 37. Look along in your Bibles as I read this. Loving Jesus is total commitment, but it's also totally entrusting my life to him. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Here's the truth of the gospel, brothers and sisters. Here's the truth. When Jesus came and took our place on the cross, he basically took our life and he said, hey, I'm going to take your punishment, I'm going to take your life to the cross and I'm going to die in your place. Now what I want in return as a heart response of love to me, I want you now to take my life and to live it here on earth. This is the great exchange. His life for mine, my life for his. And it's only when we do that and get that that we actually find our lives and live the fullness of life that God intended for us in Jesus Christ. I get it. And you're like, ah, pfft. I see that, I hear it, but man, that's, that's my life. God wants me to give up, it's mine. Like, I got one kick at the can. That's all I got. Now I gotta give that up too, but don't forget, you give it up to Christ, you actually find it and gain it. But you choose to keep it and you'll lose it. You have two options here according to this text, right? You either, you either save your life or you lose your life. To save our lives, this is our natural inkling as human beings, we build for ourselves a little ring of preservation around our lives, and we determine that I'm going to be the president of this ring. And everything we do revolves around keeping this ring of preservation, this ring of preservation, and trying to, and to make sure that everyone thinks of you the right way, and you attain all of your dreams and goals. The problem with that is when you are the, living within this ring that you've determined you're president of guess who's not in that ring God Jesus and so even though you think you're holding on to this life you've excluded the one person who actually makes your life worth living the one person who actually determines the the whole total reality of your life here and forevermore so you choose to live in this realm of like I'm the president guess what you're going to lose this thing you're going to get to the end of this life and you realize that man I might have attained all of my dreams here on earth but I completely missed completely miss the life that God intended for me and I'm gonna miss it on him forever. You could try to hold on to your life and save it or you can choose the other option, lose it. Lose it. What's that mean? It means that that you're determining that this little ring, you're gonna bust this little ring and you're gonna resign as CEO of your life today. And you're gonna let the true king, the true president reign over your life. Let's be honest. That's this freeing option, anyways, isn't it? Do you realize how hard it is to try and be CEO of your own life? All the decisions you have to make, all the full realities of life weighing your shoulders. Here's what God, God wants to free you of that, and He wants to be the, the president, the CEO, the King, the Lord, whatever you want to call, it, the Lord of your life. It's one thing to make Jesus Savior. It's a whole other realm to love him enough to make him the Lord or the master of your life. But this is where the Bible tells us is where we find actually all of our joy, all of our fulfillment, all of our meaning, all of our purpose. This is where actually life begins to to be lived. It's only, you only begin life when you actually lose your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Sometimes, As this text points out, you have to lose to win. All the athletes are like, what, that never happens. You have to lose to win. Sometimes you have to give up to gain. Sometimes you have to die in order to live. It's a backwards kingdom. But it's right and it's good. And it's best for your life, as God tells us, it's loving Jesus. It's even hard to find an illustration for this because, because where is this other than the Bible? Somebody's willing to die to live. A story I read a number of years ago. It's always stuck with me. It sort of communicates this truth. is a story about a guy named Aaron Ralston, and back in two thousand and three, he was climbing Blue John Canyon in Utah, and he's an avid outdoorsman, a mechanical engineer, and this one sunny afternoon, he decided he's going to go climbing by himself. Small hill, he climbed some big peaks and surely he could knock this one off by himself. Didn't you tell everyone where he was going. It was going to be a minor little hike during the day and back home at night for supper. Unfortunately, as Ralston was climbing up the mountain, as he went to grab a hold of a good grip and a cleft of a rock, he happened to nudge this massive boulder the shoulder and the thing just tweaked a little bit and trapped his hand in the side of the cliff. And so he's just pull pulling off, you bit. He realized that, oh man, like there's no way I'm going to move this boulder, and here I am. I'm stuck. This is a true story. I'm stuck. He sat there for five days, waiting for people, to, but no one knew where he was. No one knew what was going to happen. He, five days. He was on the side of that mountain. At day five, he realized that, man, I'm out of water. Trail mix is long gone. I have a choice to make. Either I'm going to lose to gain, or I'm going to die here on the side of the mountain. In that moment, he made a Life-changing choice, he pulled out with his left hand his pocket knife and started, started cutting. Freed himself from his hand and the side of the mountain, bandaged himself up, rappelled down a sheer cliff of 65 feet or 20 meters and walked himself out of that, off of that ridge. Amazing. Then he wrote a book about it called Caught Between a Rock and a Hard Place. <laughs> Clever. What would ever compel somebody to do that? Uh, Bottom line is they knew that there's only one way to live, and that means I have to give something up that is valuable to me. Christ says, oh, it's not just your right arm, it's your life. Don't believe me? John chapter 12, verses 24 to 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Lose your life? In this world, you're gonna keep it for eternal life. This is an act of love uh, of, on our behalf to our Father to, to actually allow Jesus to plant us firmly in his good and sovereign plan and allow us to bear fruit. It means I give him up. I give up all of my rights and all of Jesus. to have complete rights over my life. I lose my life for Jesus and the gospel. I lose my life. But gain it. What's that, what's that look like in our lives? I ask myself, so what's it look like to lose our lives? Practically, what's this mean? I think this is what it means in our lives. If we're going to lose our lives for Jesus, I think it means this. I think we give God our days and our dreams and our deeds. And I say, God, my days and my dreams and my deeds are all yours. Let me unpack this for you. It's waking up every morning and saying, God, this day is not mine to do whatever I wish. This day is absolutely yours. Would you lead my day? Here's my personal agenda. Here's my thoughts. Would you erase? Would you add? Would you subtract? Whatever you want for my day, you can rearrange it. My day is yours and not mine. First thing we do in the morning is we wake up, and and if we're going to make sure that our day is God's, what do we do first thing of talked about this in abiding in Christ. We get in the word and we pray We remind ourselves that the day is not mine today. It's not mine. It's Jesus' day. He's given me another day to live and to breathe. And so what can I accomplish today for the kingdom of God? I know you're thinking, well, I got to go to work, pastor. I'm not a pastor. I can't just do God things. Yeah, but how could I accomplish things of God at work today with who God ordains across my paths? I know you got families to look after. How could I look after my family in a way that honors God. And points my family to Jesus and what about your spare time? What about your spare time? We have a lot of spare time in our days. Surfing the net, flicking channels. We can ask God, God, would you allow this day to be yours and not mine? That's not mine to do whatever I want with. It's yours, oh God. My days are God's. I give my days to God. Do you realize this? I studied this this week. I looked it up. The average lifespan in Canada has gone up, actually up about 10 years in the last little while. It's 82 years, the average lifespan in Canada. You know how many days that is? That's 29,930 days, to be exact. I'm like, that's a lot of days. What am I doing with the days that God has given me here on earth if I'm going to live to 82? I'm almost 43, so... I calculated for forty-two. Though you know what that dawned on me this week as I was studying this, like half my days are gone. Of the twenty-nine thousand nine hundred thirty days, if when I turned forty-two, which is almost seven months ago now, fifteen thousand three hundred thirty of them would be gone. I only have fourteen thousand six hundred days left to invest my life and show the Lord I love Him by surrendering my life to Him. What am I going to do with those days? What are you going to do with your days? not just Sundays. Oh, I give God my Sundays. Perfect. That's what one seventh of your days, which is about 14%, but you're only here a couple hours. So take that down a few notches and maybe at three and a half percent, like that's not really giving God your life. I love God with my life for my two hours on Sunday. That's not it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about like every day. What are you going to do with your life? You're going to give your days to God. You're going to invest them in yourself. I'm going to live slouching or serving. I'm going to live for me or I'm going to live missional. Every day is set apart for Christ that He's ordained for you to share and to care and to dare to live for Jesus Christ. His priority reigns every day. What about this one? What about your dreams? Your hopes and your ambitions and your potential? Your dreams aren't yours, they're, they're God's. Here's what we do when we're kids. We start writing out our, we take a little piece of paper, blank slate, we take a little pencil or crayon, we start drawing out this picture of what the ideal life is going to be. Not even consulting God, thinking I got my life and here's what it's going to be. We start drawing at 30 I'm going to be here, and 40 I'm going to be here, and 50 I'm going to conquer the world by now. I want to get to the end and God be like, uh, that was not at all what I had pictured for your life or planned or proposed. Here's what, here's what losing your life is. It's like, hey, hey, God, here's my piece of paper. Here's the crayons. Can you draw a picture of my life that I probably would never think of that's going to turn out much more beautiful than I could ever draw? I give you my dreams, oh God. I have to be honest with you, like 42, like I, I never ever pictured myself here at this place, not in this church, but at this place in life. Like I had my dreams, man. Like I I was gonna go to business school and I was gonna make millions and by this time I was gonna be driving Mercedes and Porsches and going to Hawaii every three months. Thank the Lord that somewhere along the path he said, hey, it's not your dreams that matter, it's my dreams that matter. I would not trade the life I've been given for anything in the world. Every day full and fulfilling in Jesus Christ. What are, you, what are your dreams consisting of? Your dreams consisting of what you think your life is going to be like? Or are you asking God, God, what do you want my life to look like for however many days you have left? Students, as you make choices about what you're going to do for your whole lives, what courses you're going to take, or what your profession is going to be, when is the last time you up and say, God, what do you want me to do with my life? You plan it, please, O oh Lord. I'm surrendered. Seniors, you got your retirement all planned out and the place you're gonna have vacation to and blah, 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 blah. When was the last time you stopped and said, God, what do you want me to do with these days which are gonna open up with more possibilities and more opportunities to invest in your kingdom and not mine? I'm willing to forego all my retirement plans to have an eternal investment. To gain by losing is to give God all of my dreams. It's also this, to give God all of my deeds. I'm not talking about good deeds here. I'm talking about like the deeds of ownership in our lives. I want to be, love Jesus enough that I'm willing to sign over everything that I have. Not just what I am, but what I have to him. We fool ourselves into thinking that all our possessions are ours. The deed to your house, the deed to your cars, they might have your name on it, but in heaven, all the deeds of the universe are in heaven. And guess whose name is at the top of every single deed? It says, God Almighty. And underneath that name, it's like being loaned out to your name. To steward well for the purposes of the kingdom of God. And we actually love God by actually saying, God, I'm not going to hoard my stuff for myself. I'm actually going to steward well the things that are already yours anyways. I'm going to be a wise manager like, like parable of the talents and parable of the minas. And I'm gonna invest all of my resources in your kingdom. God, this house you've given me, it's not just for me and my family to enjoy our little compound. It's to bless others for the glory of God. My cars, if someone wants to use my car, I have a couple, and some of you might have two or three or four. It, they're not just for us to use, it's to bless others with and, and give people rides. And you, the, you get the picture, right? My money? Nothing speaks of your love for Jesus more than I think your bank statement. You're investing in yourself and all that you're doing for yourself. You're investing in the kingdom of God and in the church that feeds you and is trying to spiritually feed you, is trying to reach out and make a difference in the world. And in our Christmas offering, Compassion Kids, they were here a couple weeks ago. So many need, need, need blessing and other ministries around the world. It's not just a harvesting or a church. So many people are serving the Lord. What are you doing with the resources God's given you? Are you loving Jesus or are you loving yourself? Total surrender is, Jesus, it's all yours anyways. Like, show me, show me, show me how I can invest. And forget about earthly portfolio, full portfolios. I'm building one for heaven. Where the return on investment is, like, far greater than here on earth. May as well live that way anyways, because look what it says here. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Oh, you got it all, eh? You got the whole world. Good for you. Forgot something. Forfeit is your soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Here's what what the pastor is telling us. Here's what Jesus is telling us. To truly love him is to determine my life is God's. This is where your life is found. Any of you who think that the Christian life is boring and it's dull and it's mundane, I'm willing to, I wouldn't say bet, suggest you don't live a surrendered life to Jesus, because this is not a boring thing, this is an adventure thing. This this is this is where I come alive thing. When, when when God takes my life and uses it for his purposes, this is where I become alive, where the joy and the meaning and the purpose come from. That's what being a Christian is, actually. It's not the elite, it's not the disciples. This is this is what being a Christian is. Oh, but I said a prayer when I was like six, maybe, or maybe summer camp. I remember that year. This is what being a Christian is. This is where the love of God is alive in one. I love this quote, Jim Elliot. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What about it? Love Jesus enough to take your hands and you cling so tightly to your life. You got your plans. You got your dreams. You got it figured out. You love Jesus enough to say, okay, Jesus, like, ah. It hurts sometimes, doesn't it? Like one finger at a time. Ah. Pry it off, Lord. Pry it off, Lord. Pry it off, Lord. It hurts, but it's good. Pry it off, Lord. Ah, free. You're going to live like this with Jesus you're going to live like this? Living like this how is you probably don't love Jesus as much as you think you do living like this that's a posture of a heart given to Christ he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose thirdly last verse here verse 38 here's what total surrender looks like this is this is total surrender that is really a reflective of a heart that loves Jesus number 3 i identify fully with Jesus Christ Identify fully with Jesus Christ. Look at the words of this again, pretty convicting, but so freeing when we get them. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You hear that? Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Lose your life for my sake. And lastly, he says, and don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. This is total surrender. How do I know if I'm totally surrendered to Jesus Christ? I know I'm totally surrendered to Jesus Christ when I no longer care about what others think of me because of my relationship with him. When I'm more concerned about his reputation than I am my own reputation. That's when I know that I'm truly surrendered to Jesus Christ and my heart is beating Pounding with love for him. You think that's a hard call? Wasn't easy in Jesus' day, first century. Look at whoever's ashamed of me, in my words, in this first century, adulterous and sinful generation. Being ashamed of Christ in this day was related to persecution, and they lived in a day when, when it was sinful. Like, wicked. People were, were dying for their faith. And, and so the push came to shove. Is How do you know if you really love Jesus? Well, when they come to like get you, you're not like, like oh, I don't know him. You're like, no, no. Jesus? I'm his. If you're looking for Jesus, then come grab me. You're like, well, that would have been hard. Terribly hard. But not for those that saw the glory and the grace of Jesus. You know, I think, well, is it harder or easier today to live this out? Well, I don't know about you, but I look around, we still live in a sinful and adulterous generation. <laughs> adulterous generation, they're not talking about adulteries like men and women cheating on their spouses. They're talking, this Adultery in this context is talking about this. It's talking about, here's what God sees as adultery, is when, when he is supposed to be our Lord, and we turn and rebel, and we whore ourselves out to anything else but God. And we choose to live in active rebellion, in in active idolatry, giving our hearts to whatever else is out there, not the Lord. Our, Our culture is, that is our culture today. It's sinful, it's adulterous. What's our culture defined by today? Money, sex, and pleasure, or hedonism. And every time we give ourselves the pursuit of money and sex and pleasure and hedonism, what we're doing is saying, God, you're not good enough and I'm going to chase after this stuff. And let's be honest, even in our generation, you start mentioning the name Jesus, that you are connected with Christ, it's going to be a hard go. You're going to be pigeonholed. Character's going to be pummeled. You're going to be put down. And that's the moment of truth of whether you know whether you really love Jesus or not. It's not just singing songs in church, it's not having good theological conversations with each other. It's out there in the real world when push comes to shove. Will I stand and identify with the one who stood for me? You know, this is such a good word for today. Because I see Christians in our day and age where everything that God says is right, the world says is wrong. Everything that God says is wrong, the world says is right. And we know that. So I see Christians today, Christians. Who, who, who live their lives so quietly for Jesus that nobody knows. Because they don't want to make a ripple in the culture because that might cause some harm or some unkind for them. And we think it's a good thing for some reason. But we think it's good. Being a good Christian is. It's equivalent to having a friend that no other friends know about. It's like when I was a kid, we had church friends and we got to school. We didn't want to hang out with our church friends because they were geeks. It's horrible, but it's true. Like youth group, we'd all be great friends, and as soon as we got to school, they'll like you walk down the hall, you'd be like, Hey buddy! And then like, who's that? And I'm like, I don't know, some kid. Saying so if you're doing that with Jesus, if you're doing that with Jesus it's a pretty clear sign that you're not truly his friend. If if when you're walking with Jesus and all of a sudden the cool crowd comes to the side and you have to run across the street and leave him standing there, who's that? I don't know, some guy's walking, pretty good sign that you're not loving Jesus. It says here, basically it says it in a negative way, but here's the positive way, it says like, don't be ashamed, if you're gonna be ashamed of Jesus, he's gonna be ashamed of you. But you're really called to love Jesus by not being ashamed of him. It's really showing us a total surrender means that, that we won't be ashamed of Christ. What's that look like in our lives? It looks like this. It looks like when your friends and coworkers say, Hey, where are you going this week? And you're not just going to hang out with friends, you're coming to worship God and you're going to church to learn about Jesus on a Sunday morning and not being ashamed to say that. It's being in your neighborhoods and, and being bold enough to say Merry Christmas when it's not popular anymore, but I can say Merry Christmas, and all my neighbors know why we decorate our houses, it's not to have the greatest lights on the street, it's because we are celebrating the light of Jesus coming into this dark world, and we're not ashamed of that. That's where our hope is. It's going to the restaurant after church and, and saying, Grace, even though you know that the waitress or waiter is gonna come back at just the wrong time every time. Uncanny, isn't it? but you don't care anymore because you care about more about what God thinks than what the waiter or waitress thinks. It's, it's not being ashamed of Jesus. is willing to fly the Jesus flag on your car more than like your favorite sports team flag, but actually having that the posture of your heart. It's, it's I don't care what mom or dad or Uncle Bob or Aunt Sally says or, or my, my coworkers or my neighbors or the soccer parents or the, the dance crew. I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to be with Jesus and I am his and he is mine. That's truly loving Jesus. But I love her, just don't tell anyone. Don't tell Jesus that. It offends him. Hurts them. It means you really don't love him at all. Jesus is not supposed to be our best kept secret, brothers and sisters. When people show up at our funeral, they shouldn't be shocked that the pastor's up there saying that you love Jesus. What he did, she did, I I would've known. I didn't know about that part of their lives. If that's the way it is, if that's the way it is, when you get to heaven, Jesus is not up there going like, oh, I can't wait to see the one that disowned me their whole, whole lives. It's in the text. I'm not making this stuff up. You get to heaven, you'll be like, because oh, you believe it, right? You believe it. You get to have like, Jesus, has well, it's good to see you. It's, it's so good. He's like, now, now you're going to be like my best buddy when it's advantageous for you. Now, like, what about all those like 20 years or 30 years or 50 years you had on earth, and you didn't want to mention my name at all? Now we're best buds? I don't think so, pal. Like, who needs a friend like that? You don't need friends like that. I don't need friends like that. Jesus doesn't need friends like that. Remember Matthew 7? Many people say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to be like, "Ah, I don't even know who you are. Clearly you didn't know me, you didn't love me because you're so ashamed of me here on earth. But the other side of the equation is when we're, we're not ashamed that Christ isn't going to be ashamed of us. And we're, when we see him face to face, arms wide, big smile, son, daughter, you're home. I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. It's so good to actually like, physically touch you and feel you. This is the pinnacle of life right here, right now. You're finally at home in your father's arms. This is what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love Jesus is to live for an audience of one. Totally committed, life fully surrendered, not ashamed, but proud. of The God that loves you, that created you and saved you. It's what it means to be fully surrendered. It sounds like a tough call, but it's really not when you see who Jesus is and all that he's done. It's really not. If you've been to Harvest Essentials, you've heard me tell this story before, which kind of summarizes it so well. This is our motivation in in fully surrendering to Jesus. It's not just like, come on, come on, do it, do it, do it. This is the motivation we have in surrendering to Jesus. In *Harvest Essential*, I tell the story every time of uh, the, 1800s, the 1800s. An Englishman that uh, left England to come over for the Great Gold Rush here in North America, and so he traveled across the ocean, across the states, hit California, and by God's grace, I guess he struck it rich. And so he had like all the money he could ever want. So he's traveling home. He comes down through California, across the bottom of the states, ready to catch a ship back to England. But when he got to New Orleans, he was walking through the town and there's a big hoopla going on. And he kind of got mesmerized. But where are all these people going? And he stumbled upon what he realized was a slave auction. England had been abolished for a number of years, so it kind of caught his attention. He's like, what's all this hoopla about? And as he watched, he just got mortified with the reality of like, these are actually men and women selling other human beings, and he just, he just feels himself getting angrier and angry, and this amplified as he heard a couple of the uh, slave owners in front of him talking about how they were gonna treat the slaves and what they could do with some of the slaves, specifically the women, and he just found himself watching this with like this, this kind of like, what is going on with this, this horror that was building in his soul? And so as one particularly uh, beautiful young woman got up to be auctioned off, um, this guy had had enough, this Englishman. He, he couldn't take it anymore, so when it came down to the final bid, which was a pretty high price, you could hear the guys in front of them, like, oh, this is gonna be, this is the one, this is the one, and all the things they're gonna do uh, with her and to her and uh, make her do, he, he, he just had enough. And so as the auction's about to slam the gavel down, he's like, no, and he bid double what the last guy bid. And everyone kind of was like, ah! where did this wealthy guy come from? Kind of looked at him. crowd parted he walked right through the crowd right to this this young girl put his bag of gold on the auctioneer's desk got the papers and went to take her by the hand and lead her away and she was so she thought he was just like the other guys so she was so mortified and so disgusted she she went into this tirade of like just for the record i will never serve you you'll never be my master i will never do anything you say so this is all worthless and went to this little tirade he just quietly took her by the hand and led her through the crowd as everyone's going like wow who's this guy led her right down to the general store, and said, you stand here, and so she stood at the seething, she stood at the general store, and she looked in the window, she watched him go in, and put the papers on the desk with the teller, and got some pens out there pointing, yep, that's the one right there, they're pointing, she thought they were just sealing the deal, that she was going to be a slave forever, and signs the papers, and put some more money to the money exchange, and took the papers, and came back outside, and As soon as he came out the door, she did the same thing. She spit at him and and went into her thing like, you're a disgusting man. I will never ever serve you. This is a waste of your, the whole thing. And calmly as the story goes, he put his hands on her shoulders and he said, stop, 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 look at my face. Stop, stop, stop. You don't understand. I just bought you to set you free. I just bought you to set you free. These are your emancipation papers. Go, go live life. You're free. Live life. As the story goes, this was such an overwhelming moment for her, caught her such off guard that that in a moment of emotion. She fell at his feet and she's like, oh, sir, I am so sorry for everything I've done, all that I've said. I take it all back. I had no idea you're so kind and so gracious and so good and so gentle. There's anyone that I will give my whole life to in this world. It would be you, sir. Will you, can I be your servant? Can I call you master? I don't know if that's a true story or not because some pastors make a lot of stuff up. But I tell you this, it's an awesome illustration of what it means to be totally surrendered to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ bought us and freed us from the enemy of which impending death was coming, of which a life of destruction was at our disposal. He freed us and he freed us to a life of abundance in Jesus Christ and he didn't do so with a bag of gold. He did so with his very own blood. God sent his son pay the penalty for our sin, that we might be free. How do we respond to that? We respond to that by being totally committed to Jesus Christ, by entrusting him with our whole lives, by not being ashamed of him and saying, God, here's my life, take it, I surrender, it's yours as an act of worship to show you I completely love you with my whole life. How can I repay him? I can't. But I give him my life as a token of my love for him. And if this whole series just fills your minds and your hearts with all kinds of theology and doesn't get you to that point, it's a fail. It's a fail. What God wants us is to live hearts abandoned for Jesus Christ. God, your will be done. It's not my life, it's yours. This is for you, oh God. And when we do that, all the other stuff just seems to fall into place. Our hearts beat for Jesus. We desire him more than anything else. We abide in him. That's not a struggle to abide in him. Faith, a little more natural than it does now. Obedience, that's easy because you see the glory of Jesus and you just want to give your life to him. I'm praying this sermon series got us all to that place this morning. For God's glory, let me pray. So, Father, undoubtedly, as we study what it means to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, undoubtedly, we can all admit, God, that we fall short of this. God, we we can't do it. We don't know how to do it. Lord, help us. Help us. Fill us. Mold us. Shape us. Use us. God, I pray in this place today for those specifically that have maybe talked about loving you for a long time, but they've never truly surrendered to you as the Lord of their life, as their master. God, it's easy to call you savior, but true love means that you're Lord and master. God, I pray today that you would allow in this place even the freedom of, of people to be willing to admit that they have never truly surrendered to you for the first time in their lives, surrender their lives to you, O oh God, that they might know the full presence and joy and love of their father. Protect us, Lord, from easy believism. And help us see the glory of your real call in our lives of commitment. God, I pray for those here in this place that have at one point been wide open to you. Their hands have been open, and yet over the years, their hands have slowly closed back on the grip of their lives, and maybe even right now they're struggling because they know that they're supposed to surrender to you, but God, there's something in their heart that is, is, they're not willing to surrender right now. They're just not willing to do it. They're not willing to do it. God, I pray that they see the glory of Jesus right now in this moment, and that you would you would by f- work in their hearts in faith and cause them to open their hands to you again, that they might be fully surrendered to your will, your plan, your purposes, your desires for their lives, your days, your dreams, your deeds, Lord. That's what they want, that they might truly live life. Please, oh God, allow even a spirit of renewed surrender today in this place. God, I pray for those who are living this, but God, we admit that Every one of us has another area of our lives we need to surrender today. Even this week, Lord, as I studied so much to still surrender. God, I pray that we wouldn't be so proud as to think this is for somebody else. This is for somebody else, for sure. This is for me, God. Every one of us, Lord, press in by the power of your Holy Spirit to the things that we have yet to surrender to you. And would today be a new day for us as we give our whole lives to you afresh, God. Protect us, Lord, from hearing your voice and hardening our hearts. And leave in this place today with unfinished business with you, with hearts that aren't fully loving you through surrender. And in your grace and your mercy, God, bring us. Bring us ever the more near you. Cause us, Lord, to get off of our feet and onto our knees before you. Cause us, Lord, to love you as you designed us and empower us and enable us to love you. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment. May you work in us even as we sing this last song. In Jesus' name, amen.